Heavenly Father, we just ask that you'd illuminate our hearts and our minds and also reflect that in our actions, the lessons that you have for us from Mike and also from your word, Lord. Certainly, uh, these words on these pages will come to life as we just make a mental image of the instructions you've given to these people and to us. Bless this time. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Exodus 25, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, onk stones, and stones for setting, for the ephod and for the breastpiece. And let them make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all its furniture, so you shall make it. They shall make an ark of acacia wood, two cubits and a half shall be its length, a cubit and a half its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold, inside and outside shall you overlay it, and you shall make on it a molding of gold around it. You shall cast four rings of gold and for it and put them on its four feet, two rings on one side and two rings on the other side of it. You shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, and you shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark by them. The poles shall remain in the rings of the ark, they shall not be taken from it. And you shall put into the ark the testimony that I shall give you. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be its length, and a cubit and a half its breadth. And you shall make two cherubim of gold. Of hammered work shall you make them. On the two ends of the mercy seat, make one cherub on the one end, and one cherub on the other end. Of one piece with the mercy seat shall you make the cherubim on its two ends. The cherubim shall spread out their wings above overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings. Their faces to one another, toward the mercy seat shall they faces of the cherubim be. And you shall put the mercy seat on the top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. There I will meet with you, and from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Pretty nice out there today, huh? Sunshine. So I want you to imagine that, uh, that we've got this property, Cornerstone Church, this property that we're on right now, but we have uh, no building. All right, it's a nice day. So let's imagine we're outside. We're gathered somewhere out there. Uh, you've all brought your lawn chairs. You get in the picture? We've, we've all got, the, got our lawn chairs, and, and we're gathered out there uh, for, uh, for the service today. And a word comes from the pulpit that we're uh, taking an offering. Uh, we're going to build a building. We're going to build a worship center, actually. We're going to build a worship center, and we've got a materials list and it includes gold and silver, bronze, precious stones, uh, quality hardwoods, uh, olive oil, uh, 
something I'd probably bring. Um, uh, th- this is on the list for our worship center. And probably your first uh, thoughts, perhaps, might be, uh, these, these, these are kind of a not a normal materials list. Uh, these are kind of pricey items, kind of excessive, luxurious kind of items. And so the word comes uh, back uh, from the, the pulpit that actually the, the materials list is non-negotiable. It was divinely revealed, the materials list. It has come from God himself. So the only issue you have is whether you're going to participate, whether you are going to bring your gold and your silver, your hardwoods, your precious stones, all of these things, or you're going to buy them and have them kind of uh, delivered on flatbed to this property here uh, this week. That's something like the situation that the Israelites uh, face uh, as we journey through the book of Exodus uh, this, this is basically the situation that they're faced. And the question that, that is going through their minds and should be going through our minds is, uh, am I someone who is, who is ready to give of, of what is precious to me, my, my, my gold, my silver, my, my stuff, my belongings, to advance the kingdom of God? This has been divinely revealed, the building for the ancient Israelites Stepping out of my theoretical thing for us building a building here, I'm just trying to get you to think like they would have been thinking back then. Uh, Am I going to participate in the advancement of God's kingdom in the building of this worship center, of this tabernacle, of this sanctuary, or or am I not? Another way to put it is, am I a kingdom-minded person, or am I not? And all of us have this flesh, have this worldliness, have this battle going on where we want to not only retain what we have, but we often want more. We often want more than what we have. Anybody with me so far this morning? So how do we become kingdom-minded people? We're going to look at what a kingdom-minded person looks like through this passage today. We're going to see four things Four things that characterize kingdom-minded people. If you and I are going to be kingdom-minded, we have to know not only what a kingdom-minded person doesn't look like, but what a kingdom-minded person looks like. So I'd like to pray one more time before we get into God's Word and He speaks to us. Let's bow our heads together. Father in heaven, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for its clarity. We confess, God, that the problem mostly with the Word of God is not our understanding it, but our obeying it, our loving it, our living it out. And so we ask now that as we look uh, to your Word and we think about being kingdom-minded people, that you would help us. I pray that you would go above and beyond anything that I could have planned for or done today. I pray that the Holy Spirit would be at work on each of our hearts especially my own. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's, we're going to look at just the first nine verses of Exodus 25. I think you're already there. If you're not, uh, turn to Exodus 25 in the first nine verses. Let's begin looking at verses 1 and 2. The Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from each man whose heart prompts him to give. 
And in my Bible, I've got that last phrase of verse 2 underlined. Uh, The ESV has it, each man whose heart moves him to give. So we see kind of the crux issue here in these very first two verses. Are you, ancient Israelite, and are we today, are we going to be the kind of person that is moved to give to expand God's kingdom? This is different than the offerings, for example, that we read about two chapters ago in chapter 23. We read uh, there about these three festivals. Do you remember those? Nod your heads if you remember or just if you're like listening to me, just kind of nod your heads. So there were three festivals, and if you will remember, there was a sentence there about these three festivals that said, don't come empty-handed. So the message about the offering in chapter 23 is very different than the message about this offering. In chapter 23, just you better bring your offering, is what it's saying there, when you come to these festivals. Here, uh, that's, that's not what we read. Uh, I, I want each man who is moved or whose heart prompts him to give to participate in this offering. We might call this a free will offering. So we've identified kind of the main issue of our hearts in this section of Scripture. Am I a kingdom-minded person or am I not a kingdom-minded person? Am I someone who's going to have a heart or a prompting to give or, or am I not? Even if I don't have any resources I'm going to go and I, you know, there, there's gold, really expensive. You've got to have a lot of resources to give that. But there's also uh, hardwoods and, and olive oil and spices. And anyone who, who was willing to, to work hard would be able to get something to contribute to this worship center, to this tabernacle, to this sanctuary. So the first, the first uh, sign of a, uh, of a kingdom-minded person is they have a surrendered heart. They have a heart that is surrendered and that is continually surrendering to God. And I get this whole gist out of the second part of of verse 2. And something that has helped me both in preaching and also in reading the Word of God, when we read a section of Scripture like this, it's very easy to read this and go, okay, not sure what to do with this passage. So one of the things that's helped me a lot, a little tool here, on reading the Bible is to look for what theologians have called the fallen conditioned focused. Fallen conditioned focus. And this is what this is. It is the mutual human condition that contemporary believers, that's us, share with those for whom the text was written that requires the grace of the passage. And that last line is really important. Because on every page of the Bible, every section of Scripture, what we are looking for is some issue there where we need God's grace to help us to live this out. Our faith, biblical faith, is different than every other religion, every other cult in the world, every other false religion. They're basically about other religions, about either improving yourself or about earning your way, about merit, about good works. But our faith, biblical faith, is about grace. What we need is grace because none of us are inclined to give these kinds of things for the worship center. We're not inclined naturally to be kingdom people. We need God's supernatural work, His Holy Spirit to work in us. We need His grace. So, 
uh, a little more uh, confession here. We've already done uh, confession, but some personal confession uh, for, for, from me. Um, you know, we, we have this tendency, we share with those original listeners in Moses' day, this tendency to not be prompted to, to go into our accounts or to bring our gold or to bring our silver. So just a couple weeks ago, uh, after Christmas, around uh, New Year's, my wife's uh, brother, wife, and their children are up here from Southern California. And they're considering moving up this way, which would be kind of cool for us. And so right like before they're leaving, it's like the day they're supposed to be driving home, they're like, hey, we'd like to, or the night before, actually, they say, we'd like to look at, at a couple homes. They've been looking at homes online. So the day they're leaving we go and look at a couple homes on their way uh, driving to Southern California. And so one of these homes has got, uh, got a huge basketball court outside. Yeah, I was looking for Keith. Where'd he go? Um, he's in the back, huh? Yeah, I'm looking at this. See, I know when you leave the church during the sermon, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to know that. I'm looking for the one guy who left. Don't leave during the sermon. Um, so, so there's this huge basketball court uh, right outside the house. There's a grove of 48 mature mandarin trees. That uh, This is an elderly couple that owns this home. And you can tell they have paid their gardener and their maintenance people really well. I mean, there isn't a drip system. There isn't an irrigation thing out of... I mean, it, this place is just spotless. It's just... It is like the antithesis of my sprinklers for my little lawn at home, this place. And so my heart is just, it's just coveting this place. I should buy this place. They shouldn't. In fact, maybe they won't like this place. And we should buy this place and we should move over that. This is going on in my mind, in my heart. Uh, here's Keith. I was just talking about you, Keith. Welcome back. Um, so we have this natural tendency uh, to covet uh, what we don't have and to want to keep the things that we don't have. Now, it's not a sin to buy that place. Uh, so maybe, maybe we... No, that's not... That's not. <laughs> it's, it's not a sin to buy that place, but that's not where my heart should be. It was sinful for me to be coveting this place. My mind was far from the kingdom as we're walking around that place. My heart is far from content with what God has given us. My heart is far from a mindset that, yeah, you need gold, you need precious silver, you need whatever you need, I'm going to bring that. It's far from those kinds of things. So if we're going to be a kingdom-minded people, we have got to continually be surrendering our hearts uh, to the Lord. The, The Bible is serious about this. Let's look at a New Testament passage. Uh, here uh, Luke writes in Luke 9 he says as they were going along the road someone said to him to Jesus I will follow you wherever you go so Jesus responds so Jesus says to this man foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head so to paraphrase verse 58 he's saying in verse 58 Uh, you shouldn't be thinking about Mandarin groves and basketball courts. Because if you're my follower, you may not even have a place 
to stay. I'm going to take care of you, but, but you may not even have a home if you choose to follow me. This is the kind of surrender that God is looking for in us. And if you think, well, you know, Jesus is going to tone this down a little bit, look at where he goes. So another one says uh, to Jesus, follow me. Or sorry, to another, to another he said, follow me, to another person. But this man says, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. That's not a verse that we put on the front of churches, on our signs, is it? We don't put that there. Um, as you read the commentaries on here, you get this background. Those of you whose eyes may be going down to your footnotes in your study Bible right now, the, you, you, f- you read in the commentaries ways to soften verse 60. Well, to bury your dead father, it took a year in the ancient Near East, and, and you had to settle the state and all these things. And so, so the commentaries, some of them t- try to minimize what's going on here. Well, it may have taken a year or whatever, but there's no minimizing of this passage. Jesus is going out of his way to say to that first audience in the first century and to us today that I have to be absolute in your life. Surrender, heart surrender. He continues on in Luke 9. Yet another person says, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say well to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So if we read a passage like this, about the only place that we are going to go is running for grace and running for help to have a heart like this. We don't naturally have this kind of surrendered heart. Following Jesus takes precedence over everything, including our own families. Do you think Jesus knows that the thing that we might become excessively attached to are our own families, our children, our parents, the ones that we love? He isn't saying here that we should be characterized by not giving memorial services to our family members who die. He's saying here those, when a scenario comes where you have to choose between my kingdom and your family, you choose my kingdom. This is what you choose. This is not focus on the family. This is focus on Jesus. And we have a tendency, I have a tendency, to focus on the family. And we're called to focus on Jesus. Families are important. I need to disciple my children. I think most of us, we've got that down. But we are, we are a people who like to keep our gold and silver, who like to keep our time to ourselves, who like to keep our, our thoughts on Mandarin groves or mountain biking or whatever it is. These things aren't wrong, but we need to put them in their place. So that's the first um, characteristic of uh, someone who is kingdom-minded, kingdom coming from verses 1 and 2. Let's come back to the text here. And look at verses 3 through 7. 
These are the offerings you are to receive from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red, and hides of sea cows, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastplates. Uh, breast piece. So uh, what, we, what we see here, this long list of items, and I could spend a lot of time going through each of these items, but you would fall asleep even more than you have tendencies to fall asleep through in sermons. So I'm not going to go through each of these things, but for, for example, I'll mention one of them. The NIV in verse 5 has hides of sea cows. We're not even sure exactly what that's referring to. Many of the commentators uh, say this Hebrew word is probably referring to dolphins, uh, interesting uh, materials list uh, to involve uh, dolphins. Uh, others say if you have the King James or New King James, uh, it has badger there as the translation. We're not even sure what this Hebrew uh, word is. But here's the list that God has given, and it's wide-ranging. And it brings to mind uh, the kind of resources that people would have had back in that day. And so the second characteristic of a kingdom-minded person is a lack of attachment to one's resources, to these kinds of things that are on this list. A lack of attachment to one's resources. Matthew Henry uh, writes this. He says, the best use we can make of our worldly wealth is to honor God with it. This is the best use. Our best use is not maximizing Our 401k, so our company puts in the same amount. That might be a good thing to do, but that is not the best use of our worldly wealth. A kingdom-minded person is less focused on that kind of thing than on the kingdom of God and advancing his kingdom. So uh, 1 John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We need God's grace to help us not to love the things of the world. We can enjoy them, but they must be in their place. And Jesus has to reign supreme over everything if we are going to be kingdom-minded people. And kingdom-minded people are people who are praying, Lord, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is what I'm concerned about, that the gospel and the kingdom of God, that Jesus is reigning on earth now. We're looking forward to when he comes back and actually reigns on earth for a thousand years, as it says in Revelation. But before that, it's our job to be praying that he would reign in my heart and in your heart and in our church so that we display a kingdom mentality and eternal mindedness on things. And we've got to loosen our attachment to our resources, the kinds of things ancient Israelites had here and the kinds of things that we get attached to. So I want to tell you um, about my puppy, our puppy. Okay, Some of you have, have met our puppy. And we, our family, has had four dogs since um, Michelle and I married in 92. We had Zuma. We had, uh, we had uh, Zuma, Sugar, who we still have, Spice. And now we have a puppy, Toffee. And Toffee does something that none of our previous three dogs have done. Toffee uh, loves 
to steal items that we like to get our attention. She's not allowed on the carpet. She's not allowed upstairs. But she will, for example, she will sprint up the stairs into Gracie's room, grab a stuffed animal, come down the stairs. She does this little dance prance thing on the hardwood floors where we can hear. And then she tears off outside with this coveted stuffed animal so that she'll get chased and she'll get played with. And she dashes around the yard, under the ping pong table, all these different places. She's faster than all of us. You cannot catch her. And she seems to somehow have an ability to know the things that we really want. My son Michael, he's got his ski jacket by the fire uh, drying. He's, his, his pocket is open. Nobody's in there. His ski pass is in the pocket. She goes in there, goes in his pocket, grabs the ski pass, runs outside, and is running around the property with this ski pass saying, is someone going to come and chase me? Is someone going to come play me? This is a true story. I'm not making this up. So why am I telling you this? So how do we get rid, how do, how do we get the item back from her? We've tried several things. So with the stuffed animals, we thought, we'll give her her own stuffed animal. We'll give her, Gracie, what is your least favorite stuffed animal? We're going to have a sacrificial lamb. <laughs> and we're going to give one of your little lammies to Toffee. And we've done this. Those of you who have been to our house, you've seen this big stuffed animal. Why did they have their stuffed animal? Lying we, we've given her the stuffed animal. Guess what? She doesn't care about that stuffed animal. She doesn't take it outside. She doesn't chew on it. So she, she has this tendency. So what we've learned, there's a point in all this. Uh, what we've learned is we have to find something superior that she wants to get that ski pass or that stuffed animal back. Last night, we had uh, tri-tip for dinner. Sorry about this microphone thing. So if we go outside with a leftover piece of tri-tip, then we can get the stuffed animal or the ski pass. All right, you with me? So here's the point. How do we, where we started, where I started here, is, is lack of attachment to resources. Lack of attachment to the things that we tend to cling to, worldly things. How are we going to get rid of those? We can't just say, no, I'm not going to like mandarin trees. I'm not going to like basketball courts. I'm not going to like mountain biking. That, that's not effective. That doesn't work. We have to replace those desires with a greater desire, with something that is more beautiful and more awesome and more precious. And that is Jesus Christ and his kingdom. We need a love for Jesus so much that it doesn't really matter what kind of house we have or whether we have one or not. That's how we get rid of those desires, a greater desire for something superior. One pastor, he puts it this way. He says, the best way of casting out an impure affection is to admit a pure one and by the love of what is good to expel the love of what is evil. He says again in this same sermon, we know of no other way by which to keep the love of the world out of our heart than to keep in our hearts the love of God. This is Thomas Chalmers' sermon, The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. Pastor Adam mentioned it a few weeks ago. I've mentioned it before. I'll mention it again. It is probably the best sermon I have never heard. Uh, The only uh, sermon that I've read, but I've never heard. Uh, You can find it online. I'd encourage you to get this sermon It is very rich and fruitful. So we're talking about a kingdom-minded person. A kingdom-minded person 
is someone who has a surrendered heart, someone who has a lack of attachment to our own stuff, our own resources because of a superior desire for God. We need that. And then the third thing comes out of verse 8. Look at verse 8. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Have them, the Israelites, make a sanctuary. So they're to supply all this stuff, and you're to build it. Have them make this sanctuary, this tabernacle, the things that, uh, that were read about in the Scripture reading, the uh, Ark of the Covenant, the table, the lampstand, all of these things. They're to make all of these things as well. So a third uh, characteristic is a willingness to work for the kingdom. Kingdom-minded people are willing to work and do whatever it takes to advance God's kingdom, whether it's building something physically or probably more commonly, some kind of spiritual work that we're doing. We have a willingness to work for God's kingdom. I love my Thursday morning uh, men's group. Uh, We've been getting together about as long as I've been in Cornerstone, and the group uh, goes uh, far back many years before that. And until just recently, we've had a a guy come into our group uh, named Raymond. And Raymond uh, is a guy who is uh, willing to work for the kingdom. Uh, Raymond isn't part of our group anymore because he's gone back to the Czech Republic. And he told us a story about how he's praying for his neighborhood. And he's praying to make inroads of the gospel to to people there that are from and and live uh, in the Czech Republic. He's a foreigner, he's an outsider, he's American. And so this is a challenge to do this work. And so he notices one of his neighbors has a huge uh, pile of of, uh, firewood. And this uh, huge pile of firewood needs to get moved uh, to the back of the property or to his backyard. And so he goes to this guy and, and, uh, and offers to help him, and the guy's pretty reluctant to have him help. Who is this strange American that wants to help me move my firewood? I'm not real interested in him helping. But he continues and, and just kind of presses gently and, and really wants to help this guy. So he lets, him, uh, he lets him join him. And so he begins to help this guy move uh, firewood. And, and wouldn't you know it, over time as they're working together, Uh, Raymond's able to talk with this guy about the gospel. And this guy who's been looking at Raymond as this this foreigner, this person who I don't even really want to uh, have helped me with firewood, is now welcomed to lead a Bible study in his house with all sorts of people in the community and bringing the gospel through this guy because he had a willingness to work physically, but also to work for the kingdom of God to advance the gospel. So, so kingdom-minded people, most of us, we're not gonna, God's not going to call us to the Czech Republic. And, and if we went there, most of us, we'd probably be back in a couple weeks. It probably wouldn't work out well. We're probably not gifted for that. But you know what? We've got neighbors who've got firewood piles or the equivalent. That we need, we've been given the same mission that our missionaries have been given to make disciples. And kingdom-minded people look for opportunities to do work, to love others, so that we can talk to them about Jesus. We need to do the same exact thing that Raymond is doing in the Czech Republic on our streets and in our neighborhoods. A willingness to work for the kingdom. We see this 
attitude in the Apostle Paul. He writes in 1 Corinthians 9, Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law, to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law, To the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. A willingness to work in the kingdom. A a willingness to shift my mentality to a a Jewish law-binding mentality, to a Gentile mentality, to a poor mentality, to a rich mentality, to whatever mentality I need to shift my mind to. But I'm a kingdom-minded person for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. This is what God is looking for uh, in us. This is what he's looking for uh, in me. Final verse and final characteristic of a, of a kingdom-minded person is a fidelity to God's word. Let's look at verse 9, and we'll be finishing up uh, in just a few moments with this. Verse 9. Make uh, this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. Exactly. Don't deviate. Don't interject your own things. Follow the instructions that I have given you in Scripture exactly and precisely. This is what I want you to do. Before I I, I finish up and comment on that, let's go back to to verse 8 for for just a moment. I wanted to make a comment there, and I, I, uh, I forgot. Uh, he says to have them make the sanctuary and to make all these items. We'll be talking about these things in the coming weeks. But let me just say something about the tabernacle or about the temple or about this idea. You know this already, but let me just remind you. God uh, doesn't need uh, a place to dwell. God doesn't need a tabernacle for himself. He doesn't need a temple. He, He spoke the universe into existence. He doesn't need this. But the Israelites need this, to be reminded of who they worship. This is why they're building this. Not for God, for a place that he's he's like without a house, but it is for them. Now, as we shift from that thinking to the New Testament, if we're a careful reader, we should be thinking, okay, God God wants to be on display. He wants to be worshipped. How do we connect this idea of tabernacle or temple uh, later, the temple. How do we connect this to, the, to today, to, to us? Where is he to dwell today? And it's a pretty awesome thought that the place he's to dwell is, is in me and in you. And if, as we talk in these coming weeks about the details of the tabernacle, as we look at details at some point later about the temple, this is, this is a pretty awesome thing. This represents the dwelling place of God. And yet the New Testament describes you and me, our bodies, as temples of the Holy Spirit. The New Testament says things like Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, Paul says. I've been crucified with Christ. Mike has been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The dwelling place of Christ is in me and in you so that others would see our Father in heaven and glorify him and follow him in doing good works with surrendered hearts. With, lacks of, with lack of attachment to, to worldliness and worldly resources and, and earthly things. 
willingness to work for the kingdom. And then finally, now we're back to verse 9. Fidelity to God's word. Don't deviate from this plan. Exactly like the pattern I will show you. Don't deviate from the word of God, especially when there's a spiritual battle taking place. Our tendency is to compromise the Word of God, not when we're in church, not when we're at Bible study, not when we're with our, our home fellowship, our shepherd group, our, our homeschool community. We don't tend to compromise the Word of God there. We tend to compromise when we're in difficult places in a spiritual battle. People who have a kingdom mindset, have a, a strong fidelity, faithfulness, commitment to obey and honor God's word. I'll close uh, the sermon by telling you a story of a, a young man who was a tremendous example to me when I was in college. A man who had a tremendous fidelity to God's word, unlike all the rest of us in this one particular class. We were much weaker in this area than he was. His name is Alex, and Alex was from Romania. This is back in the day. Remember the Soviet Union, the Iron Curtain, communism, all of that? Alex was from Romania, and he comes to know the Lord there. And he is being persecuted, faces jail, faces uh, torture, faces the possibility of all kinds of things. And he makes a choice in his life to flee. Back when Romania was communist, uh, so been in the 80s, he makes this decision to flee. And so he gets into the back of a semi-truck without water, without food, not exactly sure which directions it's going, but it's going out of the country to a place where he may be able to find refuge. And he makes this journey near death. I still remember him telling me this story. He was a very quiet man. He wouldn't, never spoke in chapel or talked about these things. He was a humble, quiet, godly man. I remember him telling me about this. So now fast forward to his fidelity to God's word. We're in an Old Testament class, and we have this liberal professor who's later fired by the school. Shouldn't have hired this guy. I'm not sure what his mission was, but he did lots of things that were really terrible. Uh, Some of the things were just maybe a little unusual, like he didn't pray before class. Now, it's not a sin to not pray before class, but everybody, teachers, pray before class. He didn't pray before class. In his syllabus, he never capitalizes the word God. He's got this very scholarly Old Testament uh, syllabus, doesn't capitalize God. And as we go through the semester, we're just not even sure if this guy is a believer. But Alex's response to him was very different than the rest of us. Alex saw the things that he was doing, and he said, this man is blaspheming God's name. That was Alex's response. Alex's response was, this man is taking the third, uh, the third commandment to not misuse the Lord your God's name, not to take his, vein as, his name in vain, and he's saying, I don't care about the third commandment. I'm going to disrespect God's name in the way I even write it in a syllabus. And so Alex wouldn't take one of his tests. He wouldn't take it. And he would quietly humbly said to him, as we're all getting ready to take our tests, that he thinks he is disrespecting God's name and God himself. And it would be a sin for him to take this test and to kind of implicitly go along with this stuff 
that you're teaching. Because the rest of us are concerned about our grades and kind of wanting to pass the class and wanting to get a college degree and have a successful life and so on. Alex had a fidelity to God's word that, um, that I still, still long for, to have that kind of fidelity, to have that kind of maturity as a, as a sophomore uh, in college, to say that God's kingdom is more important to me than any grade or any class or any test or any career that might be compromised. I don't think Alex ended up graduating uh, from our school. I'm not sure where he is now. But he was a man who was kingdom-minded and had an absolute fidelity to God's word. That is what he's looking for in us. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for our mercy and our grace that even those of us who don't have the fidelity that Alex had and I'm sure has to this day, uh, that you show us mercy more importantly, Lord, that you strengthen us. So I ask today that you would give us hearts. I, I ask that you would help every one of us to move wherever we are, however, wherever we came from this morning, that we would leave this place today further on the journey of being kingdom-minded people. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand with us?